A few defining moments. One was you meeting Alan Drysdale from E-Shed. One was meeting Lynn, my mum. And the third is, of course, what we're going to talk about, Mother Goose. Welcome to Count Four and You're In, a father and son podcast, where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer Marcel Rodica, delving deep into his history and journey into the heart of the Australasian music industry, taking on the world with New Zealand band Mother Goose and his survival as a working drummer today. So Dad, how did Mother Goose come about and what were your feelings when you first got asked to join the band? Well, I have to say it was all a bit confusing really because like when Craig rang me up and said, would you be interested in doing this project? I was a bit like, well, that sounds good. I'm keen on a new project because I was not in a band anymore, but I was hoping to play. And when he spoke to me, he was going to ask Peter Dixon and Dennis Gibbons, who I was with in Argus. And I thought, well, if those guys are keen and those guys might be interested, well, then I'll definitely be interested because he outlined to me who he wanted to be in this project. That was Craig and Dennis, who I just mentioned. And also there was going to be Steve Young, who was a keyboard player, and I didn't know Steve at all. Steve was in a band called the Gypsy Roadshow, and this was kind of like a, a big troop of people, and I think they had jugglers and comedy acts, or I'm not sure yeah. exactly, but it was a bit like a hippie troupe, and they made music. Well, that's as I remember it. And so Steve was involved with that, so I didn't know him, and there was also, he was going to talk to a guy called Kevin Collings, but everybody knew him as Dwarf. He had been in a band called Flay, and because Dwarf was older than me, I never saw those guys. They were, had already done gigs around Dunedin. So I didn't know Steve. I didn't know Dwarf. And I barely knew Craig. But I knew Dennis, Pete, and myself. Dunedin's such a small place. And of course, there was a lot of venues. And there was bands everywhere. And we'd been doing Bible class dances um, with Argus. And Craig was in a band called Lodestone. He was the drummer in that band, like a singing drummer, and they had a guitarist, the three-piece band. Paul Smith was the guitarist, who's actually Holly Smith's father, the New Zealand singer. Oh, yeah. Paul's her father. Yeah. And um, Bernie Cole, who's a well-known Dunedin bass player. So there was guitar, bass, and drums. So we'd seen each other, and I'd been to see Lodestone play. I'd seen that three-piece band play one. And I remember seeing Craig, because you watch, when you know, I was just a young up-and-coming drummer. Mm. He's a little bit older than me, and he's already drumming. So I was hungry to look at all sorts of drummers, you know. Um, so I'd seen Craig a couple of times at gigs, but no, we didn't know each other. When he told me that Pete and Dennis were involved, then that pricked up my ears and thought, well, oh, this might be worth exploring. So I said to Craig, I, I was interested in doing that, exploring that. And then we went and had a meeting. And I can't remember how this meeting was or whose house it was at or, or even who was all in the meeting. But the upshot of the meeting was we were told to go home and come back with the silliest outfit you could find mm. and bring it back to the next meeting. Like the most ridiculous thing. The you most could find ridiculous to wear. thing you could find to wear in your wardrobe. And I just thought, what on earth is that about? Keep listening to Count Four and you're in. So I went home and just did what I was asked, I suppose. I went into my bedroom in Waldronville and I went into my little cupboard of clothes and I was thinking, what ridiculous things have I got in my wardrobe? So anyway, I go diving through my clothes and 
honestly, I pull out this, see this piece of green material and I pull this thing out and I hold it up and I go, oh, that's my pixie outfit. I think I wore that in a school play when I was eight at primary school. <laughs> Still fit. <laughs> I looked at it and thought, well, that's the silliest thing I've got in my costumes, if yeah. that's what they mean, you know. So I grabbed this thing and I took my top off and put my head through the thing and I got it on, my arms in the sleeves, and I got it on and it was really tight. Yeah. But it fitted me enough to get away with wearing it. Yeah. And I also had a pixie hat that went with it. So I thought, oh, well, that's pretty ridiculous. I'll take that. So how did the other band members find... You know, oh. things to wear. Can you remember what they turned up in? It looked to me a lot like what you might find in an op shop store. Jumpers, baggy pants, funny looking hats, scarves. I think Pete might have actually turned up in a sort of a Mexican outfit. <laughs> Look, op shop clothes is probably the best way I can describe Just it. whatever you can wrangle yeah. together and just put it on. And at one point, someone had an, a tea cosy lying around. <laughs> Uh, you know, you fit on your teapot, yeah, yeah. and it was bright orange. So I took my pixie outfit, and someone gave me the orange hat as well. So I put the orange hat on as well, and I looked absolutely ridiculous. But that's what it looked like. Op shop clothing, everyone turned up. And there was one other person that came in on the act as well. His name was Alistair Calvert, and he played mandolin. And so he was sort of like the seventh member of the band in a way. And I didn't know Alistair at all either. But he wasn't a full-on musician like that. Yeah, so what was his role then at at the time? Just kind of like experimental? I I don't think anyone knew what his role was going to be. I don't even think he knew what his role was to be. He was just asked to sort of come along too. Yeah. And so it was this bunch of sort of hippie types. (laughs) And um, we're all together in this room with these ridiculous outfits on. And no one yet knowing exactly what everyone was going to do, except, of course, I was the drummer. Dennis was the bass player. Yeah. Pete was the guitar player. Dwarf, he was going to be the second guitar player. Yeah. And Craig and Steve had said that Dwarf really had a weird sense of humour, that he would be perfect. So it all kind of worked out. And Alistair, we hadn't quite worked out what Alistair was going to be. And Steve was obviously the keyboard player. And Craig was going to be the singer. Now, I'll just say one other thing. You might ask me this question, but I just might preempt you because I'll just carry on the story. The reason why they said go away and come back with something silly was that Bernie, Craig, Steve and Chris Davies from Argus, they supported ELO at the Dunedin Town Hall, Electric Light Orchestra, early on in that year. And they decided to wear long coats and flying helmets and scarves, (laughs) a bit like old Biggles the Aviator. and And so I think that's what spurred them into thinking this could work for their new project because the people at the ELO gig really enjoyed the band. Apparently, I wasn't there. Yeah. But apparently that whole visual thing. Looked really good. Yeah, they just didn't want to look like another ordinary cover band, so they hammed it up a wee bit. So I think when it got to Mother Goose, they saw that that had worked previously. So they thought, let's just roll with it and we'll do something a bit crazy and different. A bit more extreme. Well, that's one way to try and stand out from the rest. I've got to say, we looked pretty bloody ridiculous. Yeah, so that first meeting, was that kind of like your first jam? Like, is that the first time you like played together? Was um, like, did you? I think it was just a meet to see everybody yep. and talk about what was going to happen next. And no, I don't believe we jammed. Can you remember your first, yeah. the first time you jammed together? Yep. What was that like? We, it was... Interesting, because I wasn't sure, no one was sure what to expect. As I remember it, we just all got into the room at the Dunedin Highland Pipe Band Hall in McLagan Street. 
We hired that place for three weeks during the day, full time. We had it all day. We met in there for our first jam and we got all the gear in. I took a drum kit in there and everyone set their gear up. I think we had a small PA system of some sort. And the idea was to go in there and start making some noise. We weren't an original band as such then, but the aim of the band was always to write original music. So we ended up working on a bunch of covers, but we just didn't want to do covers. We wanted to do covers with our own spin on it. Yeah. But in that first jam, we were all just finding our way. Mm. I mean, I'd never been on a stage with Steve. Craig had never sung with me. Pete Dennis and I knew each other. So thank God there was that connection and didn't know Dwarf. So yeah, we just got together and started, I guess Steve and Craig sort of, guided and, they guided the thing, yeah, yeah, and sort of cheered the meeting, <laughs> you know, and we just started playing. And and I think by the end of day one, we all felt that it was kind of cool. Yeah. It was kind of gelling in its completely raw form. So, I mean, after that first jam, how many more times were you, like, practicing? I'm making it sound like it was fairly loose but it was actually kind of really organised at the same time. Yeah. So they hired this room for three weeks, and they said, let's work every day from nine till five. So we started working Monday to Friday, nine till five, and we made a pact that we wouldn't drink alcohol during the rehearsals. So we didn't. Yeah. And that was never heard of. Why wouldn't you have a beer have while you're Have a couple of beers while yeah. you're jamming. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we all agreed that that was probably quite a good way to do it. So no drinking. We started at nine o'clock and we went down to the Potpourri Vegetarian Cafe in Lower Stewart Street at about 12, 12.30. We took an hour off and then we went back to the rehearsal room and we kept working till five or six. Yeah. And then we went for a drink to the pub. And we did that religiously to try and map out some sort of show. Yeah. And we did that for three weeks. So how did the name Mother Goose come about? Craig and Steve, again, must have decided amongst themselves <laughs> uh, before they told the rest of us the name that they had chosen. It's a pretty random name. Well, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous at the time. And if I could, I'd use harsher language than that. <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous. Three of us, Peter Dennis and I, we had a gig on a Saturday night at the Fairfield Tavern while this was going on. We had a little band called Stud. It was just very short-lived band, hardly worth mentioning, but we just did a couple of gigs. And they came out to see us, so we were all kind of excited because we had our first week and the talk was good and, yeah. you know, the vibe was good about this thing that was growing. But in the meantime, we were just playing down the road. And at, when we took a break, they said, oh, I've got a name for the band. <laughs> and I said, oh, great. They said, you're going to call it Mother Goose. And I said, you mean Mother Goose like the... Nursery rhyme. Like kids' books, yeah. He goes, yeah. He said, well, we have ridiculous outfits and we'll call it Mother Goose. Why wouldn't we? And I thought, here we were. We're going to put this exciting new project. Had some rehearsals. A bit of rock and roll, mate. You know? And we'd had some rehearsals and it was feeling good and it was all going. And that was going to be the name of the band. I thought, you are kidding me. (laughs) I'm serious. I thought, you are kidding me. I just didn't like it at all. And that, to be honest... Probably killed my vibe on it for a little bit. Yeah. I thought, now I am confused. It's sounding and feeling really quite good. You know, we're just starting out. But that name, that name sucks. It's an awful name. I just couldn't see how it could relate. Yeah. But you rolled with it and went with it and... Well, I suppose you roll with it. I mean, you could argue to some degree what's in a name. Yeah. You know? I mean, 
there's a band called The Police. I mean, I wouldn't think about calling my band The Police. Yeah. You know, but there you go. A name only becomes a name once people know about it. Yeah. You know, the, the importance of a name perhaps only matters once people know about it. So, yes, you can call your band Mother Goose, but so what until people have heard it? And then it starts on taking a meaning. Yeah. And it has some meaning once you get out there. But honestly, for the life of me, I just could not believe it. And I just, you know, it took me ages, ages to get over that. You're listening to Count Four and You're In, our father and son podcast, where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer, Marcel Rodica. So after a few weeks practicing, you must have tried to create a set list or, you yep. know, ideas of, of different songs or figured out a few covers that you wanted to play and then maybe a couple of original songs or, yep. you know, yep. what, was, what was the vibe along with those lines? Well, the most important thing was that the band always wanted to be an original band eventually. Yeah. But we knew that we couldn't just do that immediately. Yeah. Because original bands, you know, no one knows the music. So we thought as this thing was developing, we decided that we should develop a bunch of songs that people could identify with, but we'll just do them our way. Yeah. So one of the covers we did was by Dr. Hook. And in that song, the singer of the original hits names all these famous singers. So Craig changed all the names from the original lyrics and changed them to New Zealand singers. Oh, really? So when we said our version of it, it had a New Zealand flavour to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And that worked really well. And then we also did a song by Manfred Mann called Earth Hymn, which was a prog rock song. You know, they were, after Manfred Mann, which had a lot of 60s hits, Fox on the Run, songs like that, they became a bit of an art rock, prog rock band. And it kind of felt that's where we were heading a little bit, because yeah. we all love Genesis and Yes, those sorts of bands. So somehow our music was beginning to shape that. So when they chose a song like Earthham, we all love that song. Steve could do a big keyboard solo and uh, the drumming wasn't too difficult. And it was a, a long piece. And that kind of almost shaped our sound a little bit as well, that cover. So you had the cover of Rolling Stone, which was a real pop tune and was a big hit back in our time. Mm. And then you had something prog rock that no one would ever have heard of because Earthham was not a hit. It was just a lengthy album track. Yeah. So we wanted to show off some musicianship. Yeah. We thought that would be quite arty and quite stylish and quite clever mm. doing a song like that alongside something as kind of dainty as silly as the Dr. Hook song. I suppose this became our life story being of extremes. Were you working towards a gig at any stage? Our first gig was going to be at Nod's nightclub, which was famous in the day for being Eddie Chin's Tea Town. In Rattray Street. Whereabouts was Okay, that? so that, I know where Rattray Street is, but Okay, so it's where the Southern Cross Hotel car park is now in oh, Dunedin. Yeah. Yeah. In Rattray Street. Okay. The building's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's been pulled down. But it used to be there. But it oh. used to be a very famous teenage dance over the years, well before the seventies. And Eddie Chin owned a lot of property and restaurants and cafes in Rattray Street. Yeah. And they he ran this place. And it was called Nod's Nightclub at that stage. It had changed names. It was so that was going to be our first gig. And we worked towards that, and we had a half-hour show. Was that all? That's all we had. Half-hour slot. Half-hour. We were going to be the main act, oh, yeah. and we decided that we would make it invite-only. Eddie Brooks was the guy who was running the club. Yeah. He booked us for the Friday and the Saturday because he'd heard about this new band, and we'd obviously sold that. We'd be good. Yeah, yeah. 
And on the Thursday night, we did an invite only. So we invited the, the ODT, the Otago Daily Times newspaper, and we invited some radio people. And we invited Alan Galbraith, who was a very famous record producer from Wellington, who was managing Mark Williams, the singer Mark Williams, okay. who was very big in the 70s, who's now the singer of Dragon. Okay. So we invited those guys and, and because they were in town and they came to, to the gig as well. So we had some bit of profile. There was a lot of noise going on about this new band and this new thing, but we only had 30 minutes. Yeah. And in that 30 minutes, we, we decided that it had to be as good musically as we could make it, Yeah. as showy as we could make it, yeah. and make it like these people had seen nothing like this before. And how did it go? It went over in a flash. The songs were frantic. The drummer was probably playing far too fast because <laughs> just nervous energy. Yeah. We had our outfits on. We had some form of outfits on. Yeah. We ran around the stage because we wanted to be really visual, and that was all just made up in those three weeks. We had a couple of set moves, but honestly, I remember that gig going past in a heartbeat of a flash. People came in, and they sat on the floor. They, really? they weren't just standing around looking. They took up the seats of the dance floor, and they came to sit and watch. Oh, wow. That and would have been strange. Some people were standing. Well, it was strange because we'd been used to playing pubs. Yeah where people just get up and have a dance, stand and listen to the band. Yeah. And here they were prepared to come and see a show. And we had billed this thing as the silliest show on earth. Yeah. That's what our catchphrase was. It was called the silliest show on earth. And we made sure that when people came to the gig, that's what it was. Keep listening to Count Four and you're in. Did anyone film it that night? That would be great to see. I don't think so. No. The, the, no. The, the nearest thing we've got is a poster. There's a poster because we put posters all around the town. Yeah. And Steve had a Morris 8. Yeah. And we put posters on his car and we put posters up everywhere. The silliest show on earth coming Friday and Saturday. But this was the open night invitation, yeah. which I don't think anyone had really done before. Yeah, yeah. So already we were trying to do things differently. Yeah. Than Bands would normally do. Yeah. You know. So how did the Friday and Saturday night gigs go? Packed. And so, half hour slot again? A half hour yeah, slot. Yeah. Somebody played before us. I can't remember who. Someone yeah. knows. Yeah. Someone will tell me. But it went well, so. It went really well. And people clapped and cheered and clapped and cheered. We had never experienced anything like that. No yeah. one had. Because when you go to play at the Captain Cook, you're playing David Bowie covers like we had been. Or in Argus, you know, we'd be Steely Dan and stuff. People just get up and dance. But here people were sitting there clapping and screaming and clapping and screaming. We're like, never seen anything like it. So, Must have been loving it. Well, it was the start of something. You've been listening to Count Four and You're In, a father and son podcast where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer Marcel Rodica. Listen out for the next episode. This podcast series is engineered and produced by Barry McConaughey in Dunedin, New Zealand.